We consider the sixth commandment this morning. We read, first of all, from Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, I read the first 26 verses. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for us to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in, wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. And Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered them to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast, the governor was known to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you? Barabbas, or Jesus, which is called Christ, for he knew that for envy they de had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. 
When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So far we read from Matthew 27. So we consider this morning Exodus 20, verse 13, Thou shalt not kill. Our Heidelberg Catechism expounds upon that sixth commandment in Lord's Day 40 with three questions and answers, 105 through 107. What doth God require in the sixth commandment? That neither in thoughts, nor words, nor gestures, much less in deeds, I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor by myself or by another, but that I lay aside all desire of revenge, also that I hurt not myself, nor willfully expose myself to any danger, wherefore also the magistrate is armed with the sword to prevent murder. But this commandment seems only to speak of murder. In forbidding murder, God teaches us that he abhors the causes thereof, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he accounts all these as murder. But is it enough that we do not kill any man in the manner mentioned above? No. For when God forbids envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, meekness, mercy, and all kindness towards him, and prevent his hurt as much as in his lies, and that we do good even to our enemies. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the sixth commandment forbids murder. Our English translation of the Bible, the authorized King James Version, says, Thou shalt not kill. But the Hebrew term speaks of murder. And our catechism recognizes that because it states in question 106, but this commandment seems only to speak of murder. And Lord's Day 40 expounds the sixth commandment by demonstrating that murder involves far more than what the civil magistrate considers murder. But it's important that we do not misunderstand what the, this commandment forbids. When God said to Noah in Genesis 9 verse 3, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, it's evident that the killing of an animal for meat 
does not come under the restriction of the sixth commandment. Nor is every killing of a human being murder. We would desire that God spare any of us from being in such a position, but if you are assaulted by one who would take your life, or your life is under a clear danger by one who would do you great bodily harm, your defense of yourself at the expense of the life of another does not constitute a violation of the Sixth Commandment. You have the right to protect your life and the life of your family or even others. Again, we would pray never to be in such a position. But you are not guilty of murder. Should you be driving down the street and a child runs out from between cars parked on the street before you see him and can react, and you hit that child causing his death. Scripture makes clear that such unintentional killing is not murder. The example in Deuteronomy 19 verse 5 is that of a man using an axe when the axe head flies off the handle and results in the death of his neighbor. He's not guilty of murder. It is not murder when the magistrate and those who have such lawful power and authority put to death those who have committed murder. They must be sure not to shed innocent blood, Deuteronomy 19 verse 10, but as the Catechism points out, the magistrate is armed with the sword to prevent murder. And the Catechism's reference to Genesis 9 verse 6 makes clear that it is not just speaking of having armed policemen on every corner and in every home as a deterrent to murder but that it is the calling of the magistrate to execute the murderer for the great offense against God in the murder of another human being. God has appointed the magistrate for the purpose of punishing the evildoer. That is his calling for which he will answer to God. It is not murder, a violation of the Sixth Commandment, when a soldier is compelled to take a life in a just and lawful war. What constitutes a just war is a very important question, especially today, because with the loss of biblical principles, Many world leaders appear to have no care whatsoever about examining this issue, and thus they become murderers. What justifies war against another nation is not unlike what constitutes a lawful self-defense for you and me. A just war is a necessary defense against an unjust attack, which can also include assisting an ally against such an attack. 
unlike personal defense, a just war might also be declared for the recovery of that which has been unjustly taken away, or the punishment of a great injury or wrong committed against the nation. So there might be occasions that result in the killing of a man or a beast that do not bring one into violation against the sixth commandment. But murder is an act so grievous, God not only devoted one commandment in ten to treat of this sin, to forbid it, but also commanded that this sin be punished with death. But when we see that murder must be punished by death, we must be shaken when we see how the Bible defines murder. So with that introduction, I call your attention to the sixth commandment under the theme, murder not. As we consider the sixth commandment this morning, we must see, first of all, the commandment forbidding violence. Secondly, we see that this is an inescapably broad commandment. And finally, we must consider the only escape from this sin. The sixth commandment, as it speaks of our relationship to the neighbor, that is, to whomever God places on the pathway of our life, is the commandment that forbids violence. We do well to remember the source of all violence and murder, even as we shall come to consider the inescapable breadth of this commandment in a little while. God did not create the world a world of violence and murder. Although it was his purpose, even from eternity, to reveal his own glory in Jesus Christ as the Savior of sinners and of a fallen world, it was Satan who ushered in all violence and murder when he enticed our first father, Adam, to fall into sin. Through the guilt of Adam, the whole human race became murderers and the world a world of violence. Solomon proclaimed the sad reality under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he said in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 3, This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all, yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, and afterward they go to the dead. It is in and through Christ alone that any are delivered from that madness of heart and restored after the image of God's dear Son. In his conflict with the unbelieving Jews, as we read in John chapter 8, 
Jesus traced his teachings, including his forbidding of murder, to what he has seen with his father. In John 8, verse 38, he said, I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which we have seen, which ye have seen with your father. They were irritated that he had not responded to their question, where is thy father? But they also understood he was speaking of God as his father. And by speaking of two different fathers, he was making division between himself and them. And when they answered, Abraham is our father, his response was, if ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. Abraham, after all, was righteous by faith in the promised Messiah. Jesus continued, verse 40, But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the works of your father. Then they claimed to have God as their father. And Jesus said unto them, verse 42 of John 8, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. And then he gets to the point exposing the murderous hatred of their hearts toward him and their desire to put him to death. Ye are of your father the devil. And the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. In other words, the sin forbidden in the sixth commandment is satanic. Satanic. We must understand the seriousness of the sin forbidden in the sixth commandment where God says... Thou shalt not murder. It's easy enough to understand we live in a fallen world among fellow sinners. We learn as young children how irritating people can be. It begins with our own siblings and parents. We get angry with them when they do things we don't like. And while we might not like to think of it, it isn't so far to progress from anger to violence. And in fact, after Adam's fall, the first revelation we receive of the development of sin is that of Cain murdering his brother Abel. We also read that leading up to that murder... Cain was very wroth, very angry. 
His anger grew to such a degree that he rose up against his brother and murdered him. It isn't too difficult to understand why God must prohibit murder. The seriousness of the sin is also demonstrated in Genesis 9, verse 6, as I mentioned in my introduction. There God gave explicit commandment, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. I read in the writing of a 17th century preacher a quote, though the citation was not given, to slaughter a man is to stab at God in effigy. We live in a day when man's life is found cheap. In our inner cities, there are young people often in gangs, who think nothing of killing other young people. It's as if their fellow human beings are figures in a video game. And it isn't just our inner cities. Life is so devalued today that a woman's so-called interests, self-interests, are used as a reason to murder infants. The very shelter that God created to preserve that little person, its mother's womb, is turned into a murder scene. But life isn't so cheap. Even though the contents of the image of God in man, that is true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, have been lost because of the fall into sin, the human being remains an image bearer created by God. A human being has been formed by God to reflect our divine creator with intellect and will an ability to think and to reason, to murder a fellow human being, therefore, is just as heinous a sin as to attempt to murder the Creator before whom every person must bow. And for that reason, when God confronted Cain with his murder of Abel, he said, the voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. The bloodshed of a murder victim is a loud cry. And God avenges that cry. He avenges that cry not only upon the one who committed that murder, but upon the civil authorities who do not punish that murder. So when Jezebel saw and plotted the murder of Naboth, as we read in 1 Kings 21, though Ahab himself knew nothing of those plans, 
God sent the prophet Elijah to Ahab, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? He was guilty of murder. Even though, from what is revealed to us, he was not guilty in anything more than his failure to punish those who had committed that crime. And Elijah said to Ahab, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked the blood of Naboth, shall the dogs lick thy blood, even thine. But as our catechism makes clear, the sixth commandment is an inescapably broad commandment. Question 106 looks at the four words of Exodus 20, verse 13, Thou shalt not kill, and says, But this commandment seems only to speak of murder. It states that almost as an objection, as it were, to question and answer 105. What doth God require in the sixth commandment? that neither in thoughts, nor words, nor gestures, much less in deeds, I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor by myself or by another, but that I lay aside all desire of revenge, also that I hurt not myself, nor willfully expose myself to any danger, Wherefore also the magistrate is armed with the sword to prevent murder. And in answer to what we might consider uh, an instructive, if mild, objection to that broadening of the sixth commandment, the following answer states, in forbidding murder, God teaches us that He abhors the causes thereof, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he accounts all these as murder. Let's not think that we escape the charge of murder, shall we? Let's not think that we are better than that gang member who killed fellow teenager. Let's not think that we are better than that woman who had her baby's life crushed by the instruments of a murderous doctor, shall we? The reason I read this morning from Matthew 27 is because in this passage, we see murder committed from several points persons and in different ways, but all is acts of violence. It began already in verse 1 where we read that all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. They plotted to put him to death. But God requires that neither in thoughts nor words, nor gestures, much less in deeds, I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor. 
in their gestures toward him and in the actions they took in binding him and delivering him unto Pontius Pilate, they were already guilty of committing murder. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, the reference there also is to the the fact that Judas Iscariot delivered Jesus to the Jews knowing their hatred toward Jesus and that they would put him to death. But because Judas's conscience smote him in that he had betrayed the innocent one who is perfectly righteous, who had never sinned nor had done any wrong, he went out and hanged himself, we read. He murdered himself. And when one commits suicide, you must realize he not only kills himself, he murders a multitude of those closest to him. He sticks a knife, as it were, in the hearts of his loved ones and friends. So self-murder is explicitly mentioned by the catechism as forbidden by the sixth commandment. God requires that I hurt not myself nor willfully expose myself to any danger. Let's remember that commandment comes to us. Ten commandments are to the church. And therefore to those who confess that our bodies as well as our souls belong to God. We have no right to harm what belongs to God. But compounding his murder from his willingness to hurt another, Judas Iscariot turned on himself and in continued rebellion against God, went out and hanged himself. As we read on in that chapter, Matthew 27, we saw the leaders of the Jews bring Jesus before Pontius Pilate, the Roman magistrate. It didn't take long at all for Pilate to make his assessment of the situation We read in verse 18, for he knew that for envy they had delivered him. And as the catechism teaches in forbidding murder, God teaches us that he abhors the causes thereof, such as envy, hatred, and so on. Their envy of Jesus made made them guilty of murder in God's eyes. But Pilate, seeing, even seeing through their motivation in seeking the death penalty for Jesus, showed himself a murderer in not executing justice. Rather than crushing that murderous mob, he gave them what they demanded. The life of an innocent man, the only begotten Son of God. And in his folly, and knowing full well his own guilt before God, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. The blood. The blood that 
cries unto heaven for justice. The blood that Jesus himself poured out willingly for the salvation of all those whom the Father had given him, all of whom were guilty, who had murder in their hearts, that blood cried unto heaven for justice. How terrible then is what we read next in Matthew 27, verse 25. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. And apart from Christ, apart from life in him and repentance and faith in him, that blood is on them and their children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And when he had scourged Jesus, Pilate had him scourged. After washing his hands and saying, I am innocent to the blood of this just person, Pilate murdered him. After all, as the catechism points out from scripture, to dishonor or wound my neighbor, by myself or by another, is the violation of the Sixth Commandment. But where do we stand before this Sixth Commandment? God requires that neither in thoughts, nor words, nor gestures, much less in deeds, I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor. Who's your closest neighbor? Your spouse? Your children? What is to be said of the man who berates his wife? Who belittles her? Even before the children? Thus hurting the children in their perspective toward marriage. What is to be said of the man who uses words to strike fear into his wife, who dishonors her as if she were his slave? What is to be said of the man who strikes his wife? What is to be said of the woman who belittles her husband and who with her words makes him feel that he can't move without being criticized? What is to be said of that brawling woman of Proverbs 21 verse 9 and 25 verse 24 or that contentious and angry woman spoken of in Proverbs 21, verse 19, and 27, verse 15. What is to be said of that parent before whom a child can do nothing right? The parent who's constantly tearing down that child, if not beating him. 
They are all of them murderers. Their hatred, their anger, their dishonoring of their closest neighbor, their words which wound and destroy, their manipulative and controlling behavior intended to suppress and belittle is nothing less than the murder of one whom God has created after his own image. We hear much in our day about abuse. That vague an ill-defined term seems to have found prevalent use today even in the churches. The term abuse is only found twice in the authorized English translation of the Old Testament, both of which refer to the same incident in the life of Saul where he instructs his armor-bearer to thrust him through with the sword, lest the uncircumcised Philistines, to whom Saul had fallen in defeat, come through and abuse him. And the Hebrew term speaks of acting severely toward or making a fool of someone. The only time the word abuse is used in the New Testament is in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 18, where Paul says, What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. That, I, that is, that I do not use wrongly my power or authority in the gospel. The term abuse is not in any sense sufficient to describe what the Bible defines as murder. And when we hear that word abuse today, whether in the context of verbal or physical abuse, or sexual abuse in whatever form, we need to be very clear that the euphemism that the world uses to avoid speaking of sin against God is in fact the violation of the sixth commandment, which is murder. It makes the perpetrator guilty worthy of death. The victim's blood cries out for deliverance and protection. And while I've given specific examples, let not any one of us think that you or I have escaped the charge of murder. There's murder in our hearts. And that murder has often come to expression in our thoughts. It's come to expression in our anger. 
It has often come to expression in our words and gestures. And the result has been the wounding of our neighbor. And when God examines the motives of our hearts and and judges such things as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge as murder, we realize that his word comes to us as a sharp, two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews 4 verse 12. While you might think that no one knows what goes on in your home or in your heart, none can escape the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Would you respond as did the unbelieving Jews in Jesus' day? We have Abraham as our father. I'm a Christian. Gone to church all my life. May it not be said by Christ of any one of us You are of your father, the devil, who was a murderer from the beginning. Why ought it to trouble us that there has been the ongoing perpetration of murder exposed in some of our homes and churches? Why ought that trouble us? Because in some cases, those perpetrators have sat for year after year after year under the preaching of the gospel, including the preaching of the Sixth Commandment, and the calls to repentance and faith, and have been hard of heart to the Word of God. In some cases, God has exposed the impenitence and unbelief that exists right within the church on this earth and has reminded us that they are not all Israel which are of Israel. In other cases, he has worked through that preaching to bring to repentance and faith in Jesus. But as Jesus made clear, if ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. If God were your father, then ye would love me. Certainly, the law, also the sixth commandment, exposes our need for Christ. There is no escaping the death penalty for the murder of which every one of us is guilty. What then is the escape? The only escape from this sin is that which comes by repentance and faith in Christ, 
who alone could pay the death penalty that we deserved and who alone could reconcile us unto God. The escape from this sin is the way of love. It comes in him who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that means, first of all, that we know the love of God for ourselves in Christ Jesus. The only ones who are delivered from murder and its consequences are those who are of the Father. Those who have been given to Christ according to God's eternal decree of election and those, therefore, who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. But the only way to know that is by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ revealing that God gave his only begotten son to save sinners, even murderers. Does your guilt oppress you? Don't do as did Judas Iscariot. Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to him. Believe in him who has given himself to the murderous mouths and hands of his enemies that he might lay down his life for you and for me. Believe in him who has paid the price for your guilt and mine. In him alone is the rest for our souls. Then the fruit of faith will follow in the obedience required of us as set forth in question and answer 107. Is it enough that we do not kill any, any man in the manner mentioned above? No, for when God forbids envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, meekness, mercy, and all kindness towards him, and prevent his hurt as much as in us lies, and that we do good even to our enemies. When you live by faith in Christ Jesus, these fruits of faith will mark the pattern of your life. We will still have to fight the sinfulness of our flesh, the envy and hatred and anger that always lies just under the surface and which Satan longs to bring to expression. But murder in its various forms will no longer be the pattern of our lives. And should we fall, 
We must confess the sin and seek forgiveness, not only from God, but also from the one we have wounded. But if God is your father, you love. Not otherwise. And love comes to expression in showing patience, peace, meekness, mercy, and all kindness. And that shouldn't be difficult when we realize how much patience, peace, meekness, mercy, and all kindness Jesus has shown us. Amen. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before thy word in sorrow of heart. Our sins rise up against us. How we thank thee for Jesus. By faith in him we confess our sins before thee and long to show patience, peace, meekness, mercy, and all kindness toward the neighbor and that to the honor and glory of thee, our God. For Jesus' sake, amen.